You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Last Monday evening, my wife Amy and I went out um, on a date. We went out for a meal. Um, We refused to get sucked into this cultural trap of overspending for a meal on Valentine's Day just to prove that we love each other. Uh, So just to prove that we love each other, we overspend for a meal three days before uh, (laughs) Valentine's Day. That's uh, usually our style. And uh, we went to a nice restaurant, got a great table in the corner, it was kind of near the bar area, and so we're sitting there talking, and I'm just realizing how loud it is in there, because there's just lots going on. Kind of over here, there's a couple that just got engaged, and their friends are rowdy, celebrating, taking pictures. There's a group of businessmen and women who are gathering at this longer table over here. They're shaking hands, introducing themselves. They're laughing. There's festive music playing, you know, and then there's just stuff going on. The bartender's behind me, clinking glasses, making drinks, chatting. And all the while, in the midst of all this noise, Amy is talking to me, okay? She is, she is forming thoughts in, in her heart and in her mind, and those thoughts are becoming audible words, and they're leaving her lips, and they're joining this cacophony of sound around me, and then they're entering into my ears, and i got to sort all that out, right? Uh, because this is my love speaking to me. I mean, her words mean more to me than all, that, all the other noise, right? Uh, but how do I go from just receiving the sound of her words to, to, to actually receiving them into my heart and in, into my mind? How do I do that? Her words are, are personally formed by her for me. They mean a lot. And I was reminded the other night, you know, it's really hard to listen. I mean, You've got you to want to listen. You've got to try to listen. A guy named Seth Horowitz is an auditory neuroscientist at Brown University. He wrote an article a few months ago for the New York Times called The Science and the Art of Listening. He talks about how the brain works as it relates to hearing. He says the difference between the sense of hearing and the skill of listening is attention. When you actually pay attention to something you're listening to, signals are conveyed through a dorsal pathway in your cortex, which lets you actively focus on what you're hearing and tune out all the other sights and sounds that aren't immediately important. In this case, your brain works like a set of noise-suppressing headphones. And you've got other pathways that act as a switch to interrupt if there's something more urgent you need to pay attention to. He says, hearing is easy. You and every other vertebrate that hasn't suffered some genetic, developmental, or environmental accident have been doing it for a really, really long time. It's your lifeline, your alarm system, your way to escape danger and pass on your genes. But listening, really listening, is hard when potential distractions are leaping into your ears every 50,000th of a second. Listening is a skill that we're in danger of losing in a world of digital distraction and information overload. And then he says, the phrase, you never listen, that's not just the complaint of a problematic relationship, it's also become an epidemic in a world that is exchanging convenience for content, speed for meaning. And I love how he ends. He says, the richness of life doesn't lie in the loudness and the beat, but in the timbers and the variations that you can discern if you simply pay attention. It's great discipleship advice from the world of science. 
we have begun looking at the book of James together as a church. And when you first read James, um, it's kind of an unusual book, unusual letter, because on the one hand, James only mentions Jesus by name twice, which is really a low number compared to the other letters in the New Testament. And then James is also really blunt. You know, he's, the, his letter is filled with all these commands. It's like he's just telling us to do a bunch of stuff and not do a bunch of stuff. And you read it, at first read, you're just like, man, what's up with James? Why is he so uptight? <laughs> is he still hurt because he was Jesus' little brother? You know, he's kind of big brother wounds, I don't know. On the surface reading of James, um, I think it can kind of put you under the pile. Because there's lots of commands that are really, really difficult, and there's not a lot of Jesus there, uh, at least on the surface, right? But then last week, we read verse 18 in chapter 1, and uh, it was read for us again um, just a second ago. James 1, verse 18. If you have a Bible, turn there. James 1, 18. If you don't understand verse 18, then then the rest of the book of James is kind of difficult to read. Okay, this, this is, in many ways, the linchpin for unlock, you know, to unlock the whole book of James. Look what it says. James 1, 18. Of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures, that we should be a foretaste, that we should be a prelude of what's to come, of what humanity is really created to be like. Of his own will, he brought us forth. Now, that is, and Will talked about that this last week, that is birth language, to, to bring one forth. So as Christians, we have been born again. We've been regenerated. If you call someone a born-again Christian, you're being redundant. Because by definition, a Christian is a reborn person. What James is saying here is that God, by his own will and grace... Uh, will and grace. I just thought of the TV show. I'm sorry, just... <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. I wish I could block everything that runs through my head. Uh, God, by his own grace, right? He has, he has given us new life. He's, he's given us a new nature. He's changed who we are. He's given us his spirit, his presence to go with us everywhere uh, and always. Now, why do we need to know this? Because everything in the rest of the book of James is going to flow out of that. And if you don't understand who you are reborn to be in Christ, the book of James is just going to bum you out. It's going to put you way under the pile because there's lots of difficult stuff. James, though, is calling us to live out of the, the, the new birth resources that he's already given us in Christ. Okay? When we are regenerated, when we are born anew, uh, there's an acorn of Christ-likeness that's placed in us. And that acorn contains everything it needs to become an oak. And so the question is, how do we grow that thing into an oak? How do we take what's in us in seed form and bring it to fruition? And what James is going to say is that the means by which that acorn was placed in us, the word of, what does he say, the word of truth, the gospel, it's the same means by which it's going to come to fruition, the word of God, the gospel. And so growing in Christ very much is a function of listening, listening to God's word, not listening to information, uh, but listening to a personal word from a personal God, listening to a word that has the power to create and recreate, has the power to form and reform who we are. 
So I want, to do, I want us to do a couple things in the next few minutes. Right here at the end of James chapter 1, I want us to look first at the call to listen to God's word in a progressive, ongoing way. And then secondly, I want to look at the fruit of listening. If we really listen to it, James is going to say that there's, there's fruit born in our life, and that is that there's a persistent doing of the word. Okay, So listening and doing, James will not allow us to separate those two. He holds them together as one, listening and doing. We're going to talk mostly about listening. I'll say a few words at the end about doing, uh, but we're going to unpack doing more in future weeks in the rest of James. Okay, So look at, uh, let's talk about listening for a second. Look at... Um, Verse 19, James chapter 1, verse 19. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Some, some English translations say, Let every person be quick to listen. I think that would be a better translation because James is not talking about just the physical act of hearing and sound entering our ears. He's talking about paying attention, he's talking about listening. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak. Slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, all the way in chapter 1, he's been talking about Christians going through difficulty, right? He's been talking about trials. He's been, he's been talking about testing. He's been talking about temptation. Now, typically, when things start to go wrong in our lives and we experience difficulty, uh, our tendency is to start talking. It's not to start listening. And oftentimes our tendency is to get angry. I think that's why James says that here. Now, let me give you a silly example of this. Earlier this week, I was in the kitchen. I was going to wash my hands. And I was getting some soap and something wrong with the dispenser. And the soap just sprayed soap all over my sweaters. And immediately, I started to rant. I was like, come on, man. What is up? You know, why does it not just go in my hand? I'm trying to wipe it off, and it's just with water, and it's just becoming this foamy mess right here. Come on. Amy was standing there, and she said a line to me that we've been using a lot uh, in our, our home lately. She said, first world problems, right? And what she meant by that was, yeah, I can see why you're angry about that, because now you've got to go up to your closet and choose one of the other 30 shirts that you own uh, to wear today. Not because you have you know, dirt and filth on your shirt, but because you have soap, a cleaning agent on your shirt, right? So I can see why you're upset by that. When things go wrong, we just start talking. And sometimes we start talking angrily. Now, that's a silly example. But when difficulty, when real trial begins to, to hit our lives, we do the same thing. We want to we we express ourselves. We want to say what we got to say about it. We want to show our indignation, our disappointment. We've got stuff to say. You know, anger is a sign that we want to be in control, but we feel out of control. And that's so we get angry. And we start speaking when it would be better for us to start listening. Right? Now... It's interesting, God is not like us in this regard. Like the scriptures say over and over that God is slow to anger. God is not rash with his words. He's very intentional with his words, right? I mean, God, when he speaks, it perfectly aligns with his will. He's not going to say it if it doesn't align with his perfect, holy, good will. And he brings life with his words. And if you think about it, God's listening all the time. He's listening right now to the whole world. To all of us. He's listening to our thoughts. Right? He 
can hear us. And sometimes when I think that all that God is listening to, I, I don't know how he doesn't just explode <laughs> with angry words, you know? I can't believe they're thinking that. But he doesn't because he's slow to anger. God, or James is calling us to listen to something very particular here. He's going to call us to listen to the word of God. Now, what does he mean by listen? Look at verse 21, and I think it begins to unpack it a little for us. Verse 21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, when I read that earlier this week, I immediately thought of the parable of the, uh, Jesus' parable of the sower and the seed. Um, many of you know this parable. It's in Mark chapter 4. Um, I'll just tell it to you really quickly. Jesus is telling this parable, and he says, you know, a sower went out to sow some seed. Some of, the, some of the seed fell along the path, the footpath, and the birds just came and ate it. Some of the seed, he says, fell uh, among um, some rocky soil, so there wasn't much, you know, depth of soil. Uh, and it, it sprang up quickly, but um, you know, the sun came out and scorched it, and there was no root, so it just withered away. And he says, some of the seed fell among some thorns, uh, and it started to grow, but the thorns choked out the growth and you know, didn't bear a crop. And then finally, some seed fell on good soil, and it produced a crop, 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. So then he explains the parable uh, later in Mark chapter 4, and, and, and he says, the sower... Uh, is God, and he's going out and he's sowing the word of God, the word of the kingdom, the gospel. And he said, some of the folks are like the seed sown on the path. Uh, and and, the, and, and the, the word of God, the seed, never penetrates the surface of their life. And Satan comes and snatches it away. And some of the, the seeds are like those sown on rocky ground. And they don't have any depth of soil in their life, but they get all pumped up when they hear the word of God. At first, they're like, man, this sounds great. But because there's no root in their life, when difficulty, hard times comes because of the word, just, they just fade away. And some of the seed is like those sown amongst the thorns. And listen to what he says about those. He says, they hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word. And that's such a powerful image. The desire for other things is more important than the word of God, and it just chokes out the word of God. No fruit. But finally, he says, some are like good soil. These are the ones who hear the word and accept it, and they bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Here's the deal. The word accept that Jesus uses there uh, is just a variation of the very same word that James uses when he says to receive the implanted word. It just means to take it into yourself. How do you know if you're the good soil? You accept the word of God. You receive it. You listen to it. You take it into yourself. What makes you good soil? Is it just, well, I'm just a really great guy and I have a lot of personal wisdom, so of course I listen to the word of God, right? Because I know what's good for me. And so of course I'm the good soil. No. The grace of God is what forms us into the, in, into the good soil. It's the very grace of God who does the soil work to prepare us to be able to receive. Remember what James 1.18 said? Of his own will, he brought us forth and gave us new life. He regenerates us that we might receive the word of God.
Now, look back at verse James 1.21. I think the key to understanding what James is saying here about listening is this word implanted. He says, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, that word implanted, this is the only place in the entire New Testament that that word uh, gets used. Okay? And so the, the implanted, it, it means natural rather than artificial. Uh, it means deep-rooted rather than superficial. It has to do with something that's, that's been engrafted in, that's become a part of you. A few months ago, a friend of mine had a kidney transplant. And the kidney that she received was from her sister. That's a wonderful story of love and sacrifice. Her sister gave up one of her kidneys so that my friend could live. That, today, that kidney that was once in her sister is now living in my friend. Uh, and it is functioning as part of her very naturally. It's working uh, just fine. That kidney has, has grown together with my friend's body as if it were her very own. That's what James is talking about when he uses the word implanted here. He's saying something has been put into you and it's grown together with you and now it's part of what you are. It's formed you. It's your substance. If you and I are born again in Christ, if you are a Christian, you have a new relationship with the Word of God, with the Scriptures. Like You are able to hear the Word of God in a new way. And the reason you're able to hear it in a new way is because it's implanted in you. It's part of who you are. It's your stuff. So let me ask you. Does the word of God feel natural to you? Not do you know everything in it, because some of you may just be brand new Christians, just getting going in this thing. Not do you know it all, but does it feel right to you? Does your heart feel at home here? Does it feel like part of you, like you need it? See, before you were a Christian, the Bible might have been interesting to you. But now it's, it's sustenance to you. It's food you're like, I need that because it's, it's who I am. It's a sign of regeneration, new birth, that you and I love listening to the word of God because it's become part of us. Now, let me say this. If you are sitting there and you're saying, I cannot relate to that, but I want to. I, I want to know God's word intimately that way, but I can't. I don't feel that. I don't know your story. But let me just say, it's possible that the starting point for you would be just to cry out to God in faith and say, can I experience the new birth in Christ? I believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on my behalf. Uh, would you implant that word in my life that I began to grow in it? Right? If you don't have the acorn, you can't grow into the oak. And only God plants the acorn in our lives. Every word that's ever spoken originates in a person. Someone speaks it. So listening to a word really means that I'm listening to the person behind the word. What is this person saying to me? And so when we're listening, we're not just simply hearing information. We're engaging in relational formation because I'm trying to listen to what that person is saying. And let me ask you this. Are you listening to God like he's your love, your highest love? Are you willing to... Uh, to put off the noise around you that you might hear from him. Because it's possible that you might read your Bible and never listen to to God and hear from him. You're just turning the pages. You're just checking off boxes on your reading plan, but you're not hearing from God. It's possible to come to church where the word of God is on display, but never listen to God, never hear from him, because the noise of your life is so distracting that you can't hear 
from him. James says listening to the word of God means to receive it. And we're to receive it with meekness, with humility, right? It's the opposite of being an angry, talkative, proud person. We receive, we listen, but we listen humbly. And so I want to give you a couple of practical ways to do that. For those of you that like a practical application, here's just two quick things. Two ways to humbly listen to God's word with meekness. One is to be willing to search the scriptures. Are you willing to come to the scriptures and take time and search them? To come to them humbly. To not come as a know-it-all. Don't say, oh yeah, John 3.16, I already know all that. You know, there's nothing there for me. I got that one. There's there's nothing there for you, really? (laughs) That's the gospel. Don't say, oh yeah, I heard a sermon on James 1 before. I know that stuff, you know, so... This guy's not going to tell me anything I don't know about that today, right? God's word is an endless gold mine filled with treasures that we, that we never tire of exploring. I mean, last weekend at our, at our membership meeting, Will was talking about the gospel, and he was saying something that I've heard him say 15, probably 18 times before. And as he was saying it, I thought, man, that is awesome. <laughs> that is really good, right? Because God always is saying something in his word if we would only listen humbly. So be willing to search the scriptures. Don't be a know-it-all. And then the second practical thing to do is be willing to let the scriptures search you. Because you're going to come to the scriptures, uh, and there's going to be things in God's word that bother you, things that ruffle your feathers, things that you don't understand, things that are difficult for you to accept. And if you don't ever experience that, then you're you're not listening to the word, right? You're not reading the Bible. You're not hearing it preached. Because there are things that, ought, that, that are going to bother you. And to, to listen humbly is to say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come before, I'm going to listen to what God's saying even though I don't understand that part. And I'm going to seek understanding. Even though that part bothers me, I'm going to see, what's he saying here? Even though I feel like he's calling me out on something and I don't like how that feels, I'm willing to humbly submit myself to that and say, well, maybe there's something in me that needs to change. Let the scriptures search you. If the Bible can never contradict or challenge you, that means that God can never contradict or challenge you. And if you have a God that can never contradict or challenge you, that's not God. That's just some God that you formed and made up. Okay? Search the scriptures. Allow the scriptures to search you. That's listening to the word. Now, I want to talk just a minute about doing the word. And like I said, we're not going to spend nearly as much time on this uh, because we're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. But let's talk about doing the word. In this, uh, in this text that I'm about to read, these next few verses, um, James is going to say that listening to the Word leads to doing the Word. And he's not going to allow us to separate listening and doing. Uh, they go together as one. Because how can I know if I've, uh, if I've received the, listened to the implanted Word and it's, been trans, and it's been transforming? How can I know that? The only way to know for certain is if I do what it says, Right? If I ask my three kids, hey, clean your rooms, uh, how do I know that they listen to me? Well, if one of them cleans her room, but the other two do do not, I can only know for certain that that first uh, kid listened to me, right? The other two may have heard me, but their hearing was useless, right? My will never connected with their will, apparently, right? It was just... Noise that went in their ear and out the other. That's all that my words were. There was no relational formation that was happening there. 
Look at what James says. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, or listeners only, deceiving yourselves. We deceive ourselves when we, when we mistake a part for the whole. But James is saying, hey, the, the point of, the word of listening to the word of God is not just to gain more knowledge. I mean, Will said this in, in the previous two weeks. James is actually not interested in hearing you sit down at Starbucks and wax eloquent about the Bible and theology. He's not interested if you can outline the book of Romans and clearly explain the atonement. Which, by the way, are good things for Christians to be able to do. You ought to aspire to be able to outline the book of Romans and explain the atonement. But James is saying, hey, what I really want to know is what, have, has what you heard, has it changed you in any way? Because if it hasn't, you're just deceived. Verse 20, he uses this mirror illustration in verse 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looked like. So this guy, this is not a quick glance in the mirror. Right? He says he looks intently. He's like checking himself out. He's studying himself. You know, he's, he's in the morning, he's checking, you know, he, he's realizing, oh man, I've got like, it's getting kind of scraggly on my neck. I need to shave, you know, and just got some straight eyebrows, you know, which I have when I wake up in the morning, they're going every which way and just weird stuff going on. I was like, man, I need, my face needs some work, right? And so he's looking at himself, studying himself. He turns away from the mirror to get his razor and his shaving cream, and he forgets what he looks like, and so he just kind of heads out. And he never really fixes all that stuff that needs fixing. So the mirror has proved useless to him because it showed him what needed to change, but he just forgot about it, and no change came. A mirror shows us what we really look like, and a lot of times it ain't pretty, right? Especially in those hotel like fluorescent lights that just show everything. It's not pretty. And what, and we, sometimes we look into the mirror of God's word and we're like, oh, man, that's not good. I don't like that. And so we'd rather not do, deal with the reality of what's being shown us about ourselves. And so we just turn away from the mirror, close the Bible, and we walk away unchanged. That's what James is saying. But watch this. Watch what he says in verse 25. He says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, that's our key word, perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James is saying we've got to persevere with the word of God. That word persevere literally means to remain beside to stay close with. It's like a married couple. You know, a couple spends, remains beside each other for years and years. Uh, they begin to grow together. Their thoughts, their sense of humor, their experiences, uh, they can read each other's minds. They begin to grow each, the, the, because the two have become one flesh. That's what James is saying. He's saying, stay by the word of God until it begins to meld with who you are. And you, to the point where you can't really tell who you are and who the Word of God is. And what you hear is reflected uh, in what you do because you're so much a part of each other. How do we keep doing the Word of God as a way of life? 
What James is saying is don't turn away from the mirror. He's saying take the mirror with you. Always gazing in to the mirror. Because doing the word of God consistently, by the way, it's not an act of the willpower. You can't just decide one day, all right, I'm going to do what the Bible says now. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to think pure thoughts. I'm going to hold my tongue. You can't do it. You can't do it for very long. What James is saying is we've got to look into the Word of God. We've got to keep looking into the Word of God, remain beside it, persevere, and as we do, we experience liberty. We experience freedom. He calls it the law of liberty. You know why the Word of God liberates us? Because it's like a mirror. It shows us who we really are, and the truth is our friend. We're fallen, we're sinful, we've got issues. But it doesn't stop there. It also shows us who we're designed to be in the way back to that. It doesn't stop there. It shows us Jesus Christ. And it reflects him back to us. And it says to us, no matter what you look like, this is who I see you as my child in Christ. And I accept you. And I forgive you. And I'm restoring you in Christ. And then it says, I've joined you to Christ And now you are free to live like him. You're free to do what Jesus does. And so all of our doing has to be originated in liberty, not in bondage. If we start from a position of bondage where we're just feeling shamed, guilt, like I ought to do this, but I don't want to do this, we won't do it for very long. But if we start from a position of freedom and liberty, this is just, I'm going to live out who I'm supposed to be. That's how the word of God, that's the key to doing the word of God. We keep gazing into the law of liberty, the gospel. What James is doing in our passage today is he's holding, listening, and doing together. And and this is, James is not saying this to us today. He's not saying, hey, go to church and then do what you hear. He's not saying, go read your Bible and then do what the Bible says. That's not what he's saying. He's saying something much deeper. He's saying, let the word of God fall on you like seed and let it go down deep into you and and become a part of you and begin to germinate and begin to grow and begin to transform you. And then let it begin to bear fruit that's evidence through your doing. And And your doing, your outward doing is going to be evidence of your transformative hearing. And the word of God is going to be so much a part of you that it can't help but show itself in your life. That's what he's saying. That's why hearing and doing hang together. Let me close by just saying this. The rest of the book of James is going to deal with the doing of the word of God. And specifically, it's going to do with the three examples that are given in verses 26 and 27. It's kind of, in many ways, the outline for the rest of the book. Look at verse 26 and 27. James says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue... So that's the first thing that we're to do, bridle our tongue, but deceives his heart. This, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. That's the second thing. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's the third thing. How do you know you've been born again and that you belong to your Father? Well, you look like him. You look like your, a kid looks like his daddy. A kid looks like her daddy, right? So we bridle our tongue, just like our dad. 
Because God does not speak rashly or wastefully. His words are intentional. His words are life-giving. And we'll tackle this in James chapter 3 in a few weeks. We care for widows and orphans just like our dad. Because he cares for the helpless, the needy, the weak. And we'll tackle this in James chapter 2 starting next week. We keep ourselves unstained from the world, just like our dad. Because God is holy. He's set apart. He's not like the world, even though he made the world. And we'll tackle this in James 3, 4, and 5 in the weeks to come. Good stuff in the book of James that lies ahead. But let me just say one last thing. In Mark chapter 9... Jesus takes three of his disciples up on this mountain and he is transformed or transfigured before them. He is changed. He becomes radiant. He becomes, his brilliance as the Son of God is shown to be what it is up on this mountain. And in Mark chapter 9, verse 7, it says this. A cloud overshadowed them and an audible voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. That is the audible commentary advice from God the Father. Listen to Jesus. That's it. That is the starting point of the Christian life. We are to listen to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But it's not just the starting point, it's the continuation. We're to ongoingly listen to Jesus Christ, uh, who is called the Word of God, right? The lifestyle of a Christian is a lifestyle of listening in an ongoing way. To listen to the one who was crucified and resurrected for us, who is joined to us. And as we listen to him, he continues to transform us. He continues to renew the image of God in us. And he always does it by his redemptive and his creative word. Isn't that great? Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.